Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is Friday, the third of February, twenty twenty-three. I am Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Good morning to you, wherever you are, um, whatever you're facing today. Thank you so much for the privilege of this shared time together. Uh, we've already prayed for you this morning, so I hope that's an encouragement to you. We've already come before the Lord and lifted up our hands. Um, you know, I like to do it in a posture of like cupping my hands together um, and I lift you up individually as I know your names because you've texted in or emailed in over time. Um, but even if I don't know your name, God does and he knows where you are and he knows the circumstance of your life. He knows what you're going to face today. And so I have already lifted you up before the Lord today Um and asked him to reveal himself to you in ways that you can apprehend and respond to and to connect with you at those points in time when you feel disconnected, to be very present with you in times when you feel alone, to encourage you, to build you up. So be encouraged today. Our uh, Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Uh, it might be one of those that you sing if you are a person who um, memorizes Scripture by singing verses. This is definitely one of those that, um, let us love one another, love is a God. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one of those that your mind will sing if you allow it to. So First John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another. In fact, it says, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. So let's unpack this for a moment. Let's unpack these verses here this morning. Dear friends, first of all, what kind of greeting is this? I mean, it's so nice to be addressed as a friend, isn't it? Good morning, friend. It's so nice, uh, such a nice way to be addressed. What does it mean in this context? Well, the Apostle John is writing here to fellow Christians. So when he says, dear friends, he's talking about um, those who are friends of God through Jesus Christ. Like, right, this is an insider conversation. This is a conversation among friends, specifically Christian friends, friends in Christ, people who are in Christ and therefore brothers and sisters, friends with one another. So dear friends, let us continue which suggests that it's already begun. This is something that is already happening. It's already taking place. Let us continue to love one another. What does that mean? What does it mean to love one another? What manner of love is this? What manner of love do the people of God have for one another? 
What manner of love do the brothers and sisters in Christ have for one another? What manner of love do the friends of Jesus have for one another? I mean, it's not just about me and Jesus, you know, oh, what a friend I have in Jesus. Yeah, but what a friend you have in Jesus too, and that makes us friends of each other. I mean, you know, the friend of my friend is my friend, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Why? Well, love comes from God. So who is this God that loves? I mean, this is a conversation This is a passage of scripture. This is a verse about God. This is a verse about the character and the way, the ways of God, the love of God, the God who is love. Who is this God that loves? Who is this God who is love? Who is this God who commands love? Who is this God who comes in love and gives love and multiplies love? I mean, spend some time today considering what manner of love we're talking about here. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Anyone, 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 really anyone, even me, even those people, even them, even that one, anyone, yeah, anyone. Anyone who loves is a child of God. That is a statement of identity. That's a statement of identity. Anyone who loves is born of God. Anyone who loves is a child of God. That is a statement of security. It's a statement of identity. You're called by name. You're cherished. You're cared for. You're part of a family. You belong to God. Anyone who loves is a child of God. And anyone who loves is not only a child of God, but knows God. It's not just that God knows us. It's that God allows himself to be known. He reveals himself. It's the quality and character of the God who is love, that we are allowed to know him. And then there's a big but here, big but that comes in the middle of this passage. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's a big but. Again, anyone, even you, even me, anyone who does not love does not know God. This is a character test literally a standard against which a person can test their own character and judge their own ways. Judge whether or not they are a child of God and know God. Because those who belong to God, those who know God and know the love of God in Christ Jesus, they are changed people. They are people born of love, overflowing with love. Now, do the children of God still fail to love from time to time? Yes, certainly. We are, after all, still children. We are growing. We are learning. We are expanding our capacity to love as God loves. But the children of God, those born not of the will of man, but of the will of God, are marked and characterized by love. What kind of love, you ask? Well, what kind of love does the Father have for us that we should be called the children of God? What kind of love does the Father have for us that our sins are forgiven and forgotten? What kind of love does the Father lavish upon us moment by moment, day by day, as we abide in him through Jesus Christ? What kind of love, what manner of love does the Father demonstrate for you that your name should be written on his hand, you should be held in his arms, you should be welcomed into his company, you should have open access to his throne room, you should have a place prepared at his table and a place in his kingdom forevermore. What manner of love is this? Let us so love one another. 
You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. For breakfast, warm cook to wash it down. Maybe a couple of anchovies make this meal well. All right, hey, it's just you and me for a minute here this morning um, because I had some things that I wanted to share, and you know, I don't want to. Uh, <clears throat> I don't want to hold somebody up, some somebody else up, while you and I are having this conversation. There are literally a million things that you and I could talk about today. I started to make a list, and then, of course, you know, I not only ran out of like typing time, but. Uh, even imagination, right? There's literally a million things we could talk about today. So I want to take a step back and I want to talk about what we're thinking about, what you're thinking about, and how you're thinking about whatever you're thinking about. So what's on your mind today? What's on your mind today? If we were sitting down uh, for a cup of coffee, which we are because I have one and I presume you have one because who at this hour wouldn't have a cup of coffee? What's on your mind today? Is it a person, a problem, a test, something causing you pain, a particular sin? What's like in the focus? What's in the frame of your mind's eye right now? What's on your mind today? Now I want to pull back from that intense focus. I want you to see what's around it. What's the context? What's the setting? What's going on on the periphery, in the back, in, in what for you right now is the background, but for someone else might be the foreground. Like, what's the context or the setting of the person, the place, or the thing that's most in focus in your mind right now? It's in the foreground of your thoughts. What's in the background of what's in the foreground of your thoughts? Now, I grant that um, there is something... Um, there's some there's sometimes that what we're experiencing is so intense we literally like can't pull back the aperture. It's so intense it makes it difficult to focus on anything else. Um Jesus sweating drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane made it really really hard to focus on anything else, right? So if you're actually right now facing the imminent prospect of wrongful sacrificial death and there's no alternative than enduring the excruciating path which includes the betrayal of a friend, the denial of another, the abandonment by all, being stripped of your dignity in all forms, being physically beaten and forced to carry the implement of your own execution through jeering crowds. Well, I was going to say you're off the hook for this conversation. But even in his travail, Jesus focused even on the cross, on the welfare of his mother, the needs of his neighbor, the thief on the cross hanging next to him, the spiritual state of those who nailed him there, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. The mind of Christ was not centered on his own pain. The mind of Christ was widened to see those around him, even as he hung on the cross. So that's what I'm going to invite us to do this morning. Widen the aperture of your mind to see more than yourself, more than your own pain, more than your own circumstances. Consider what in the world God is doing in the world around you. It's very possible, I dare say probable, that whatever your it is today, there's a context, and that context has some kind of redemptive purpose in God's redemptive plan. 
His redemptive plan, the gospel, arches across all of human history. So you might not be able to see it right now because you're so focused on the one pixel of your present pain or inconvenience, frustration, fear, angst. But trust me, there's a bigger picture. There's a perspective that you're missing. So we're going to talk about whatever you've drawn into the present foreground of the picture. And then we're going to talk about uh, adopting the mind of Christ on that particular matter of this particular day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. Hey, welcome back. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We are um, we're talking with each other about our worldview, our viewpoint, our particular focus today, what's on your mind, how you're thinking about what you're thinking about, and cultivating the mind of Christ on the matters of the day. So what's going on from God's perspective? What's going on from God's perspective? So you and I tend to focus on the one tiny little pixel of the present moment we're very intensely focused on ourselves and that which concerns us most. Um, and God is equally concerned about that one pixel. But even as God is concerned about that one pixel, God's perspective is so much greater because God sees every other pixel just as intensely as he sees that pixel you're focused on, the pixel of you. So I want you to just, you know, uh, this will maybe help us understand this. So when you take a picture with your phone, um, when you take a picture with your phone, you can like zoom in and bring whatever you want into the foreground of the picture. Um, you can edit out anything you don't want. You can use the cropping tool to, you know, g- get rid of anything that's around whatever you want to focus on. Uh, I mean, there's now technology that lets us like erase people from the scene. <laughs> okay. All kinds of filters available in photo editing. Um Well, that's what happens in our mind all the time. We're just constantly editing out stuff until we get so intensely focused on the one thing that we want to bring into central focus that we lose the context. So I'm going to invite you right now, instead of focusing so intently on the pain or the problem or the angst, that one pixel, what if we widened the aperture of our mind to see more and not less of what's going on? You can't do that on your phone. You actually like, you can't make the picture bring in that which you didn't capture when you snapped the shot, right? You can't, you can't pull your finger, keep pulling your fingers together. Like the, it, it, once you reach the, uh, the edge of whatever you were focused on at the time, like that's it. But I want us to seek to gain God's perspective where there's really nothing outside of um, of his, his viewpoint. So what does God see? Um, what is God foregrounding right now? That's the mind of Christ, and we can't cultivate it without the Spirit being very present um, in and with us. So here are a few exchanges that you could make today, right now, um, to seek to widen your aperture. First of all, spend time focusing on nature, not just the nature of things in the world. So nature, 
not just the nature of things. Spend time in the word of God, not just in the words of the world. Spend time addressing the needs of other people, not just seeking to get your own needs met. Like consider the whole world, not just your little world. Allow God to reveal the gospel. I use capital letters there, the, capital T, gospel, capital G. Allow God to reveal the gospel as a cosmology, not just the me and Jesus gospel of personal salvation. And fight to focus. Taking every thought captive to Christ, yielding in submission moment by moment to the active presence and power of the Holy Spirit, literally fighting against deception, fighting against self-centeredness, fighting against self-destructive thinking by which the enemy is seeking to enslave you right now. Here's a quick test. Do you believe that God's got the whole world in his hands? Like, do you believe that God is equally concerned with every person in the world at this very moment? Do you see the world and each one of those 8 billion people as equally precious in God's sight? That's a lot of pixels. And so when you ask God to meet your needs or bless your day or protect you and yours or to do something special for you, do you see how receiving the answer to your prayer would affect others who are also praying from their present pain, from their little pixel for God's intervening grace in their life, for their people in their place? That's, that's widening the aperture. So how do you think about how you think? And how do you evaluate your own thinking about a particular idea? This is critical thinking. And that's what we're looking for. Not just more information, but actual godly wisdom. The very wisdom of God on the matters of the day. The mind of Christ on the matters of the day. So, what will you be invited to think about today? Well, when I said we could talk about a million things today, we literally could talk about matters of life and death. Everything from conception to abortion to end-of-life care, um, identity, relationships, sex, marriage, children, education, friendship, unity, diversity, race, culture, war, economics, debt, inflation, the cost of a gallon of gas, the environment, electricity, crime, punishment, your flat tire, incarceration, rehabilitation, healthcare, technology, crime, government, geopolitical tensions, tyranny, human migration, immigration, desperation, hunger, poverty, mental illness, addiction, opioids, drug cartels, gangs, sexual ex- exploitation, child abuse, domestic violence, de- mm-hmm, see, domestic violence, animal welfare, access to clean water, uh, cancer. Guns, homelessness, cryptocurrency, dementia, elder care, child care, autism. Are you tired yet? I am. That's a lot of pixels. And that's just a starter list. Makes you want to crawl back into bed and pull the covers over your head, doesn't it? Well, imagine how Christ feels. He's not only concerned about all that. He knows the pain. He hears the prayers of every single person enduring in the midst of every single one of those challenges and everything we didn't name. So what's in focus for Christ today? What's in the foreground for God? Consider the cross for just a moment. Did Jesus focus on the cross or did he focus on the glory beyond it? Yes and yes. Did Jesus know from before creation that in the fullness of time, he would leave the glory of heaven to condescend to our reality and die a very real death on a very real cross in order to accomplish very real salvation? Yes. And did he still choose to create the world and everything in it? 
Yes. And did he know? Did he know then what we would face today? Yes. And does he know the end from the beginning? Yes. To cultivate the mind of Christ means that we allow our aperture to widen and widen and widen until the full expanse of time and eternity are equally in view. Does that blur the present? Or does that put the present into right perspective? That's the question of the mind of Christ. Does does God care any less about your particular pixel, your particular pain in this particular moment? No. But neither does God care any less about the particular pain, the particular pixel of every other person who has ever or will ever be conceived, whether or not they ever take a breath outside the womb. That is really hard for us to imagine, but that is the truth. Worldview is really all about perspective, the lens or the filter through which we see and hear and process everything. And cultivating the mind of Christ requires us to think with spiritual minds, not only temporal ones. Thanks be to God that in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ. I encourage you to be in the Word of God today. Read 2 Corinthians 4 and Romans 8 and Philippians 2 for more on the mind of Christ. Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Dan DeWitt is going to join us here in just a moment. We're going to bring some particularities into view. And yes, thank you for the person who said, hey, given that perspective, I now know I now don't know what to pray for. Show me one thing at a time. Only God is big enough. Okay, so that's the pixel issue, right? You have one pixel in view, one person, one pain, one anxiety, one need. Yes, pray for that. We did that yesterday. We spent a long time yesterday praying for particularities. But we can't allow our focus to remain there. We have to remember that from God's perspective, that person, that pain, that particularity is equally um, important to him as every other pixel, every other person, pain, and particularity. And so um, it makes it possible for me to rest in God receive whatever answer he gives, trust in his timeline, see all things in the global, cosmological, eternal, redemptive scope by pulling back the aperture. Yes, I pray in particularities, absolutely, but I pray with the perspective on the whole. So did Christ have the cross in view? Yes, but did he look beyond its agony to glory? where he could see you and I as redeemed people? Yes. So that's the, um, that's the challenge. And thank you um, for this sweet friend on the text line who highlighted that concern. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Let's, um, let's take a look at the Christian family with Dan DeWitt up next. C.S. Lewis talked about the toxic Christian family. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound like a good thing. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Hey, Dan DeWitt is back. Um, one of the things that Dan likes to think about and talk about is C.S. Lewis, particularly right now, the screw tape letters. Um, Dan, reintroduce us to the screw tape letters. What is happening in the screw tape letters and why focus on letter 22 during the month of February? Good morning, Carmen. So good to be back with you. And I'm always up to talk about C.S. Lewis. So I get to teach classes about him. I'm leading a trip to England and Ireland. Um, this summer on C.S. Lewis. To, and then I have a book coming out in July. So um, it's a topic that's always on my mind. And so it frequently makes its way onto uh, theolatte.com. And the screw tape letters is something that I'm teaching through on a podcast that I do. And letter 22 is interesting for this month because um, the whole letter is about romance. And so it's not a love letter, it's written by a demon. So screw tape in letter 22 writes to his understudy. Now, those terms might not make a lot of sense to someone who doesn't know much about the screw tape letters. C.S. Lewis wrote the screw tape letters after he was inspired by a um, impassioned speech by Hitler, followed the next morning by a boring sermon from a preacher. <laughs> and with those two converging influences, he the idea for um, a satirical approach to highlighting the underbelly of temptation came into his mind. And the product was the screw tape letters, which is a senior demon screw tape writing to an, a junior demon about how to tempt his patient. And this particular letter is about the patient who has become a Christian. And so screw tape's very upset about that. But in this letter, he's particularly angry, so angry that he eventually changes form. Um, he turns into a centipede. Um, he's angry because the patient has fallen in love with a Christian woman. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. The letters, First of all, take, okay. take, take a step, take one step back um, okay. and, and help people see the screw tape, the screw tape letters um, a little bit as a whole, um, because this is, this is such a good exercise. It doesn't really matter where you are in your Christian walk. If you've never read the screw tape letters, this is a fantastic exercise. And I want you to specifically invite people to um, not only visit you at um, theolatte.com, but invite them to your podcast. Yeah. So I'm doing a podcast where I teach through the screw tape letters. And there, the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis wrote in a very short amount of time. In fact, Tolkien thought he wrote it way too fast. Um, on the other hand, C.S. Lewis thought Tolkien wrote everything way too slow. So that was a common kind of um, point of contention between the two of them. But he wrote it really fast. It, it's a, it was originally published one letter at a time through an Anglican periodical. And so you would get one letter that would come out like once a month or something like that. There's a total of 31 of those letters. And it's there's a parallel that Carmen and I have talked about before. The book of Proverbs has 31 chapters and is very similar in that the book of Proverbs begins with instruction from a father to his son about how to navigate life's temptations. And the book ends with a wonderful, godly wife who her husband and children rise up and call her blessed. So in a lot of ways, the book of Proverbs is this love story um, in which a young man finds a, a godly woman. And so the screw tape letters are the opposite side of that. What C.S. Lewis said, he wanted to give the psychology of temptation from the other point of view. Lewis said this, this was his least 
favorite book to write. And I think that it's it's been powerful for so many people, new Christians and old Christians alike, in that it really gets into how it feels to be tempted and possibly to see the strategies that are seeking to undo us. And in this case, um, the patient falling in love and caring for someone turns his attention from the self, which is really important because throughout the screw tape letters, the, the path to hell is entirely focused on the self. And it's disguised as self-love, a person who only cares about themselves. Lewis in other places describes sin as having that effect on us, that sin pulls us deeper and deeper into ourselves, kind of like a turtle within its shell. On this end, the, the young man has truly fallen in love and cares for another, and not only just another. I mean, this is what Screwtape says. He says, so your man is in love, and in the worst kind he could possibly have fallen into. And he goes on to describe this lady saying, I've looked up this girl's dossier, and I'm horrified with what I find. Not only a Christian, but such a Christian, a vile, sneaking, simpering, demure, monosyllabic, mouse-like, watery, insignificant, virginal, bread and butter miss. This little brute, she makes me vomit, Screwtape <laughs> writes. And so this love is making the patient turn his attention on someone other than himself. And that is a dangerous thing from Screwtape's perspective. And obviously, precisely what we as Christians like... <laughs> precisely what we would hope to be um, and hope to become more and more. Like it, So I do think that um, it's like looking in a weird funhouse mirror when we read screw tape letters and um, yes. like we love to see ourselves in uh, in the in the one being um, made fun of and targeted. Like, like that's that's who we want to see ourselves. And, and that's an unusual character to want to see ourselves as in any kind of story. So it's just, it's very, very effective. Um, you spend a lot of times, uh, a lot of time in your podcast, Mere, Christ Mere Caffeination, you know, a little play on Mere Christianity there. Mere Caffeination <laughs> yeah. is Dan DeWitt's podcast. Um, you're spending a lot of time right now in um, in the Screw Tape Letters, and you're also spending a lot of time on your blog um, uh, there as well. But it's not the only thing that you have in view. Um, talk with us about our early Easter hope. Yes. Yeah, so the reason I called it that's funny. I, I originally called the blog post that and I never mentioned that comment or why I called the, the comment <laughs> that. Huh. And thus I the, ask. <laughs> it's the, the resurrection, the raising of Lazarus. And of course, we know Lazarus would die um, again. In fact, to go back to C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis wrote in a letter um, Lewis was in the hospital and nearly died. And then two weeks later, he did die. And he described that experience as being like Lazarus, you know, poor Lazarus. You know, he had to 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 be on the precipice of it being in the presence of God and experiencing complete freedom from, you know, the sinful curse of this world only to be brought back. And Lewis said that he had something of a similar experience and that he nearly died. Um, but it's an early Easter hope in that Lazarus's temporary resurrection um, his resurrection to his same fallen body that had been placed in that tomb is an early um, sign to us, a powerful sign of another resurrection that is yet to come. And so I reflect on John chapter 11. And one of the things I start this blog post with is Thomas Jefferson. Um, Thomas Jefferson died on the 50 year anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And so that's, of course, the document for which he was the principal author. And a lot of people know the story about 
um, Thomas Jefferson with another document, not one that he authored, but one that he edited the Gospels. And Thomas Jefferson went through and pulled out all the supernatural claims because he was something like a deist. It's hard to completely nail him down, but a deist is someone who believes God exists as a helpful explanation of where the universe came from. But God hasn't revealed himself. There's nothing we can know about God um, that comes from God. We might be able to kind of reason our way into certain things about God, like his existence. But if if that's how God is, then Thomas Jefferson appropriately took out all the miraculous claims in the Gospels. And so when he died on the 50-year anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, there were a number of memorials and um, reflections on his life that were written, citing passages um, offering hope for those who were grieving the loss of this great founder, founding father. And they were citing passages that Thomas Jefferson had ripped out of the Bible, including mm. John chapter 11. And so I find it powerful to go to this passage that gives us an early Easter hope. This is what we have to look forward to, but even better. And to know people were quoting that and Thomas Jefferson didn't even believe in it. Um, it, it also, I think this when I read this, I was reminded, like, there are things that we have functionally ripped out of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, Thomas Jefferson had his own, like, edited version of the Bible. There were just parts of it that he he tore out. Um, and we functionally do that when we don't read all of it, when we don't consider all of it, when we um, when we only focus on particular passages or uh, or particular books or even, like, only the New Testament or whatever, or only the red letter. I mean, like, whatever, whatever your proclivity is to rip out or ignore, functionally rip out portions of the Bible, like that is a really dangerous thing to do. Um, the Bible says of itself, right? Like ev- every word, um, it's it, all of it um, is, is from God um, and useful for teaching and yeah. for correction. So, you know, maybe just speak to that, speak to the whole, the importance of the whole Bible, Yeah, I think that that's such a great reminder because it really comes down to either God is personal and has revealed himself or not, (laughs) like what Jefferson believed. You know, of course, some people would go a step further than Jefferson and just not believe in God at all. Um, But if God exists and if he's personal and if he's revealed himself, as the central claim of Christianity um, makes clear, then that means that we actually are not free to edit the Bible. We're not free to reimagine the Bible. We can't look at the Bible. You know, back in the day when we used to use cassette tapes, you know, we would people would have, today we'd have a playlist, right? Like, you know, where you just kind of, um, you would kind of moderate what songs you're going to listen to. I think sometimes we bring that, as you've mentioned, Carmen, to the Bible. And if we're not careful we'll end up focusing on the bits of the Bible that we're the most comfortable with and that don't challenge us. And so we'll end up having a faith that's kind of tailor-made for times like these and for people like us. And to go back to a C.S. Lewis quote, um, I'm I'm working and there's people working around me, so I apologize for the noise. Um, We don't hear anything but you. Oh, great. Well, C.S. Lewis said that God God has told us how to talk about him. And he's right. If God does exist, then we're actually under the authority of this revelation. And that doesn't mean we don't use our brain and we don't think and that theology doesn't involve a whole lot of thought and that we're not bringing a lot of ourselves to the scenario. But it does mean that our starting point is to recognize we are under the authority of this revelation. And God has lovingly condescended to us in a way that we can know him, 
but we can't go through and pick and choose what we like. And the wonderful, beautiful thing about the Bible is it is all intended, as you mentioned before, for our good and for God's glory. And so it actually does us no benefit to neglect it, to ignore it, or to deny it um, because God gave it to us for our good. So we can become everything he wants us to be. And so we could do everything he wants us to do. And if we're honest, we all struggle with just picking and choosing the bits we like. Yes, and I suspect that that is one of the things that um, those little demons in screw tape letters would tempt people to do, um, to pick and choose portions of Scripture um, that fit our worldview and our heart's desires and rationalize away all the rest of it. So um, good connecting point there as well. We're going to continue our conversation with Dan DeWitt in just a moment. Um, dogmatics, let's talk a little bit about what, what are dogmatics and how do we see them in literature that we read? Does Tolkien, like, follow some system of dogmatics? I bet he does. How about your favorite author? What are the dogmatics of your faithful or your favorite author? We're going to talk about that next with Dan DeWitt. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Who let the dogs out? All right, in the uh, children's books that I am working on writing, uh, we got a dog named D.O.G. who thinks he's God, and we've got Dog Ma, who is Dog's mom, D.O.G.'s mom. What is Dogma, Dan DeWitt, and um, how how do I how do I suss out the dogma of my favorite writer? I'm just still, you know, singing the song that Paul played for us there. <laughs> yep. Brought okay, back memories Paul, of being in a skating rink in eighth grade. <laughs> yes. So just for the record, um, I believe that Paul Perot, one of his like secret daily wicked desires is to plant something in our minds in those little portions of music that will have us returning to it all day long. So who, all day long, who, 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 you and who, I me? are going to be, who let the dogs out? Me? When who, I do something yeah. like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's looking for that Wrigley's gum. He's looking for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, he's, he's mm-hmm. there's a little evilness there. Just try to um, double your pleasure and double your fun. Yeah. Oh. Speaking of screw tape. <laughs> yes. See, exactly. A little bit of wickedness. Um, all in good, all in good fun. Okay. So Tolkien, remind us who Tolkien is. Um, the, is there a theology? I guess maybe this is the the question. Does every author operate out of a theology? And if I read them closely, should I be able to see that? Should I be able to see the theology of my favorite author? Well, Dorothy Sayers once said the dogma, which is really another word for doctrine and, and in academic theological circles, it's a term that's used for something like systematic theology, um, but Dorothy Sayers said the dogma is the drama. 
And her point was not that it's like drama, like in a negative sense, but the doctrine is actually the, the beautiful, powerful story of scripture. There's an author, a contemporary author, Ben Hooser, who really does a good job of reminding us through all of his works that the Bible is not just a set of, of disembodied propositions, right? God could have given us simply the Ten Commandments. That would be an example of like disembodied propositions. Here's a list. Do this. Don't do that. But the Bible is actually this big, powerful, wonderful story about reality um, with, with the apex of God actually entering the plot, that God enters the scene through the incarnation. Um, so when it comes to people writing stories, they're always going to be, whether they know it or not, they're going to be showing us something they either believe is true about the world or something they wish were true about the world. And so even people who, for example, are atheists, sometimes you'll catch them in their stories kind of showing hints of what they would like the world to be like. So I wouldn't say that we would always see exactly what someone believes in their stories, but we could at least see what they wish were true. Now, in Tolkien's case, Tolkien liked to have these big um, kind of what we might call meta narrative, which is like the overarching story. He liked to to make them more concealed. I mean, I think they're still kind of staring you in the face, but you don't have like an Aslan like Lewis did. Lewis and Tolkien differed in their approach to, to stories um, and, and their Christian belief. So I feel like Tolkien doesn't make it as explicit as Lewis would, but man, it is there in a powerful, powerful way. And so the article I've linked to um, is a book review of a new book that I've yet to read, but the, the article made me want to read it. And the title of the book is Tolkien Dogmatics. So it's looking at what does Tolkien believe? And the subtitle is Theology Through Mythology with the Maker of Middle Earth. And there are 12 chapters in the book, as the article points out, and it summarizes in each of those 12 chapters, 12 of the major themes in Lewis's writings. So I would encourage people who are Tolkien fans to consider it. And I would imagine that there are several, given the nature of the things you talk about on the program, Carmen, people who like the idea of applying theology to the world around us often are people who really like the idea of worldview and then authors like Lewis and Sayers and Tolkien and Andrew Peterson to, you know, reference a, a contemporary. Those are the kind of authors we like. So this would be a great book for you to consider. Tolkien's beliefs show up in major, powerful ways in all the stories. Yeah, if you just thought about um, systematic theology or doctrine, and you thought about the big categories um, that you'd be looking at, you'd be looking at humanity, you'd be looking at the fall, you'd be looking at Christ and salvation, um, we'd be looking at the Bible and our view of it on and on and on. And those are, um, right, those would be some of the ways that mm -hmm. I could then read any author that I'm reading. What is this author's view of humanity? What is this author's view of of sin or the fall? Um, does this author have a, is there a salvation theme here? If so, who is the character? Um, how Christ-like is that character? I mean, this is a, also a conversation that like every hero story that's ever written is really a Christ story. I mean, that you, you just can't, you can't escape it. So um, that's really, really helpful and really good. And so, yes, you have whetted our appetite to look for Tolkien dom dogmatics. Um, and as always, thank you so much for the Worldview Reader at Theolatte.com. All the links to what we've talked with Dan about today are going to be in the show notes including a direct link to Mere Caffeination, um, Dan's podcast, 
You can check it all out at theolatte.com. Dan DeWitt, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great day. Yeah, absolutely. You too. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Uh, All righty. So did you look up last night into the sky, into the night sky? I got up super early thinking that I would be able to see the green comet. Did you know there was a green comet? Did you look for it? (sighs) Alas, I did not see the green comet. I would love to know if you did. If you saw the green comet, let me know um, on the text line, 877-933-2484. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Did you see Superman? How about the Chinese spy balloon? Mm -hmm. Chinese spy balloon out there in the uh, in the sky over the United States of America, apparently seen by the naked eye above Montana on Thursday. It's being tracked as it flies across the continental United States. It is a Chinese spy balloon. Uh, They uh, they shut down an airport in Montana while they were making a decision about whether or not to shoot it down, but determining that, you know, there was really little risk, uh, if any, no risk to civilians, little risk, you know, other than the Chinese seeing what we're up to. This high-altitude reconnaissance balloon, not the first one to pass over our country, um, a defense official said in a briefing yesterday. Um, So it's the size of about three buses and it has a technology bay, and it's apparently looking at us, mm-hmm. looking at us. So, <clears throat> I don't know. Close your drapes. That's about what I've got. Um, the Green Comet, apparently last seen 50,000 years ago. So, once you just consider for a moment who last saw, whose eyes last saw the Green Comet. Yep, God loved those people just as much as he loves us today. God know, God knew their names. God knew what was going on with them mm-hmm. 50,000 years ago. I don't know. Now now we're going to have the conversation about young earth, old earth. Okay. So you get the point though, right? All right. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.